I saw a Guinness one day with uh, maybe a foot of twine hanging from his beak and they found him dead on the shore a few days later. I presume he died from starvation. We wouldn't even be aware of the amount or the number of birds would be killed by litter. Yeah, so there's been a horrifying statistic that's just um, recently been released that by the year 2050 there will be more tonnes of plastic in the oceans than there will be fish. Um, it's really a very horrifying statistic to think that we will be swimming in a sea of plastic. No matter how many times I have heard that statistic, it still shocks me. Imagine the sea with its vast beauty. turned into a big rubbish dump. It's a frightening image, but sadly it is not imaginary. There are statistics that would make your head spin, like this one. Every year, 10 million tonnes of litter end up in the world's oceans and seas. And I'm not picking these statistics out of my head. They come from reliable sources, such as Clean Coast, which is part of the Environmental Education Unit of Antashka. I have seen articles about the marine litter in oceans, large masses of it, such as the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, estimated to be the size of Texas. They are caused by rubbish getting caught in the ocean's currents, corralling trillions of decomposing plastic items and other rubbish into gigantic, swirling garbage patches. It's easy to think that the problem is just over there and has nothing to do with us. But it has. Louise Overy, who scared you with the statistics in the beginning, is a wildlife marine biologist and the head aquarist at Dingle Ocean World Aquarium. Louise works with the devastating consequences of marine litter in Ireland. And I'm not exaggerating with the word devastating. An estimated one million birds and 100,000 marine mammals and sea turtles die every year when they become trapped in marine litter. At the start you heard Frank, he's a fisherman, and his description of the birds dying of starvation is just one small indicator of what they see every day. The ocean and the seas are their workplace. Fishermen see every day the damage that has been caused by litter and they know what is going on out there. I met a group of them to hear their stories. Frank Flanagan is my name. I'm with the Galway Bay Inshore Fishermen's Association. How mm. long have you been a fisherman? About 30 years, yeah. Did um, you like it? Oh, yeah. You'd what? have to like it. You know, you couldn't do it as a job as such, you know. You'd have to like it. By its nature, there's a certain element of escapism in, in fishing too. You're on your own for the day or you're with one or two people for the day. You're away from everything and everybody. You're away from the whole world and, you know. The fishermen I met have all been fishing for decades in Ireland. Fishermen such as Jim Connolly, the skipper of the Supreme. 30 years fishing, yeah. Jesus, that sounds a long time. <laughs> I'm used to it. Never done anything else, so... I don't know, you get lads trying it and they don't like it and some lads do like it and stay at it, but it has to be in you, I think, you know. And there's John, who works with Jim. 
uh, John Fitzpatrick. And you've been working as fisherman for how long? Tom? Oh, about 30 years. So I have a like, you know. Jim and John both work out of Clower Head in Louth, as does Oliver. Oliver, Carwin. I'm born and bred Clower Head. Yeah. The stories these fishermen told me about Irish marine litter made me sick. This problem is not someone else's. This is happening in our waters. This is our litter destroying our seas. Fishermen have known about this for years and they've had enough and are now rallying together to do something about it. Their idea is a simple one. While they are out at sea, they will also fish for litter. This initiative, Fishing for Litter, is supported by Onboard Ishkavar, BIM, and there are currently in excess of 60 trawlers taking part in this pilot programme, working out of seven Irish ports. The men that I met who have been fishing in Irish waters for decades are now fishing in our litter. And why are they doing it? Well, it's our environment and we make our living out of our environment and we should, we owe to our environment to protect it. And like, even if it doesn't do an awful lot of, if, if it doesn't do an awful lot of harm, it certainly doesn't do any good to have plastics thrown into the water. You know, it's just a step in the right direction. It's a change of attitude, change of mindset. That, you know, the sea isn't just one big rubbish bin. You know, we have to respect it all and do our little bit. So what are they doing and how does it work? Frank Fleming has been a commercial fisherman for 30 years. And now, trading under the name Fisherman Frank, he works with the fishing industry to maintain sustainable and responsible fishing standards in Ireland. He is one of the initiators of the Fishing for Litter scheme. A number of years ago, say maybe four or five years ago, we first started getting involved in it and talking about it. And uh, we saw other projects maybe happening around, uh, especially around Europe. Now, I suppose, we've started in earnest, really. There's two uh, waste streams when you're fishing anyway. So one is what you generate yourself, and by law you can't throw that out and you bring it in. But really actively, say maybe bringing in stuff that you catch in other ways, isn't really a legal requirement. But, you know, it is great then if you get involved in voluntary programmes to bring it in. So what are these fishermen finding out at sea? Each of the fishermen I met had a story to tell, and I will tell them to you later. Ivan Toole from Wickham took me fishing off the coast of Dunleary to tell me his story. I actually left school um, when I left school, I uh, didn't mother didn't want me to go fishing. <laughs> so uh, I was fishing on horse out of the family. But uh, fished with my uncle. He 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 fished over Greystones. So two uncles fished over Greystones. So we worked with them. Their father and their father before them. They all fished down there. So. And how? Where? What are you fishing for? Where are you fishing? Well, on? at the moment we're doing a lot of uh, lobster and crab fishing. Um, we do an awful lot of wild fishing as well. So where are we going now? Like where are we? Um, we're not going to go too far today, we're just going to bring you outside the pier and we have some shrimp pots out here. We actually fish them with a smaller boat that we have. Um, that's what we normally fish fish around the harbour. It's just a sort of little fishery on the side that we do in the winter months. Um, 
they're a common prawn or the Irish people call them shrimp but they go to France and Spain and they're a big market for them at Christmas worth a lot of money hard to catch very hard to catch you don't get a whole lot of them but if you can get them they're, they're worth a lot of money so. we headed out to sea leaving Dunleary Harbour behind us on my left was the iconic image of Dublin the two red and white striped chimneys of Pool Bag Generating Station yeah, we've we started uh, fishing for litter not that long ago, a couple of months back, and um, yeah, we've it's it was a slow start. We're trying to get the harbour involved with it here as well, um, but uh, no, it's 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 good. Where we're fishing at the moment, it's relatively clean. The ground was we're inshore a lot at the moment, but now after Christmas we we go off offshore. You know, we'd be 17 or 18 miles sort of east of Dunleary and, um, you know, we'd pick up a lot of junk out there at times of the year, you know. get bad weather, plenty of tides, you know, you can pick up a lot of stuff. But, yeah, so. <laughs> you can pick up anything from trees to... <laughs> God, jeez, what's the weirdest things? We, we, like, we've picked up bags of rubbish coming out of the Dargle River down in Bray, you know, people throwing in full bags of rubbish like household litter. Um, we picked up handbags with... with people's belongings in them, give them into the guard and we've picked up all types of things you wouldn't believe it, the things we've picked up bicycles <laughs> like anything when you get really bad weather and the sea gets churned up you pick up a lot more stuff after that you know it's probably the nature's way of cleaning itself out you know washes all the stuff up on the beaches but there's there's parts of the bay here in Dublin that you pick up an awful lot of rubbish and it's coming down from the Liffey um, I tell you what we get an awful lot of on the ropes it's probably just the type of fishing that we do pick up an awful lot of um, baby wipes and stuff yeah. stuff people putting down the toilets it's a big problem like, you know. it's, uh, people don't see it, you know. we see it yeah. we go out and we, we'll pick this string up and we'll, we'll show you what we do We had reached where Ivan had left his shrimp pots earlier and headed out onto the deck to bring them in. The pots are made of wire frames covered in mesh and are attached onto long ropes which are dropped into the water. They are hauled onto the deck by a mechanical wheel. I watch to see what happens when they get pulled up. That's a lot of the type of rubbish that we pick up on the ropes, that old fishing line. It's monofilm lion from, from England and it gets wrapped up, you know, and you can get you get a lot of lobsters and crabs with it wrapped up around them. It actually deforms their shell and the boards can get wrapped up in it as well. So well, that's a shrimp pot. That's a shrimp derby. <laughs> Funny little fellow, isn't he? Beautiful tea. Expensive. Yeah, so we fish them with strings of um, 20 and we bait them with heron. Small, small little bits of heron. Um, when you're pulling up, where's the rubbish getting tangled? Uh, mostly on the ropes. Um, we cut an awful lot of rubbish on the ropes, particularly on the ropes, the floating ropes that we use, because um, they're just a little bit off the bottom of the, the ocean, so anything that's going along in the tide will get caught up in it. Pick up anything. Particularly around the harbour here. You never know what you're going to pick up. Yeah, so this is some of the stuff that we've... Uh, just cut in the last few days. Um, as you can see, there's an awful lot of um, monofilament line again there from from the angling business. Um, a lot of hooks in. 
it's, it's bad for it's bad because it's boards get a lot that's stuck in them you know we catch boards with it in them trying to get out of them <laughs> and you can see these are all stainless steel hooks like you know these should be made of material that degrades like you know um, most of our gear commercial fishermen's gear is designed that it degrades you know but the other bits and pieces here are made of stainless steel which takes you a long time to degrade um, and that causes a huge problem for wildlife we get an awful lot of lobsters and crabs that are deformed because they get that wrapped up around them and obviously their shell grows you know over the years but this, this line like doesn't it'll stay with them and obviously they're no good for the commercial market if they're like that no one wants to eat a deformed lobster <laughs> so yeah it's not good it's not good for anyone but uh, yeah you can see there we've got some old plastics pick up an awful lot of that a nappy <laughs> as you can see <laughs> lovely full nappy <laughs> um, this is baby wipes see this you, you wouldn't believe the amount of this that we get an awful lot of it uh, it's everywhere it's particularly in Dublin Bay for some reason see there's a fresher one there um, and it just seems to hang around for years you know like, as you can see, some of that's really old. Like, you know, we don't want to be fairly fresh. But like, if we wanted it, like we could pick up boxes of this stuff in a day. If we, you know, if we shot the pots in the wrong spots, really bad. You know, it's only to show you what that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you get loads of them. <laughs> How is it that Ivan could spend his day fishing in sanitary waste? Stuff that gets flushed down the toilet that we think just magically disappears. I asked the question to Dr. Roshin Bradford, the technical communications specialist in Irish Water. We went out on a boat with a fisherman and he said to me, I could spend my day picking up wet wipes. Why? Unfortunately, wet wipes don't disintegrate in water the same way toilet paper does. So even if it says flushable on the packet, that might mean just that it will go down the drain. It doesn't mean that it will disintegrate in the same way that toilet paper will. Our sewers were never designed to take this kind of litter. And um, unfortunately, most of our sewers and wastewater treatment plants are older. Even the new ones can't be designed to um, deal with this type of thing. So it's the process from drain to sea really is the wastewater treatment process. So these litter items can impact in your own home, in your own drains. If there's no blockage there, it can combine with litter from other houses and block our sewers in the public network. Then when it gets down to the wastewater treatment plant, it can block our filters at the plant. It can clog our pumps, which has a big impact on our carbon footprint and energy. And then the smaller items can get through the filters at the wastewater treatment plant and end up in the sea. And the bigger items can cause overflows, which end up in our sea as well. We have a really um, strong process in terms of treating our wastewater. Um, There's a good biological process that can break down the sewage and that separates out the solids from the water. We can then treat the water so that it's clean. It takes out all biological pathogens so that the clean effluent is discharged back out to the sea or out to our rivers. But unfortunately that biological process doesn't work on these new things that are entering the system like the wet wipes. Who is flushing these new hygiene products down the toilet? Yeah, Irish Water did a survey of over 1,000 Irish adults and we found that 3 in 10 people were flushing items that they shouldn't down the toilet. 
Um, interestingly, it's more often women under the age of 35 that are flushing items that they shouldn't. And it's also more likely for people in Dublin to flush items down the toilet than in other areas in Ireland. So the main things that people are flushing down the toilet, things like wet wipes, things like cotton bud sticks, um, the smaller items can actually get through our filters at the wastewater treatment plants, like the cotton bud sticks, and end up on our beaches and out at sea. The bigger items like wet wipes, um, even things as big as nappies people are flushing down the toilet, they can clog our own drains in our own homes. They can have blockages in our sewers. When they get to the wastewater treatment plant, they can cause a huge amount of blockages. And unfortunately, sometimes that does end up on our beaches and at sea. Unfortunately, there are some towns in Ireland that don't have wastewater treatment. Arklo is an example of that. In Arklo, um, anytime you flush the toilet, have a shower, wash your hands, all of that water goes into the Avoca River. That's totally unacceptable. So Irish Water is building a new wastewater treatment plant in Arklo and it's part of Irish Water's business plan to have all of those untreated agglomerations um, fixed by 2021. It's a really simple change to put a bin in your bathroom and to put these items in the bin rather than down the toilet. These items contain plastic and it is plastic that is the problem. 80% of marine litter is plastic. That does not biodegrade. So when Ivan said he thought the stuff he is fishing up is old, he was right. Louise, who is the marine biologist from Dingle Ocean World Aquarium, understands all too well that when you put plastic in the sea, it remains there. Um, For instance, your disposable nappy, they take about 450 years to break down, so it's really horrifying. So just the amount of plastics that are put into them. They are trying to put in legislation to um, to hopefully try and remove the amount of plastics that are in sanitation products so that they become more biodegradable. It is disgusting, isn't it, really? But as I said, it's something you do at home without thinking about. It's only when you're out here and you see it here and you say, Jesus, yeah, you know. Shouldn't be doing that type of thing. Just, I suppose, when you flush things down the toilet, you think it's gone, disappeared forever, but it doesn't. As part of the conservation programme at Dingle Ocean World Aquarium, Louise puts on exhibitions to give the visitors some sense of the reality of marine litter. So here we're standing under a sea of litter. So I've got plastic bottles hanging from the ceiling um, in order to try and convey to people what the seas are going to look like. Our plastic consumption in the last... 10 years, we've already used more than they did in the whole of the 20th century. So our plastic consumption is going up and our population is also going up and it's just horrifying to think that one day we may well be swimming in a sea of plastic bottles. And when you think of plastic bottles, they take about 450 years to break down in the sea and we just keep adding them. Uh, We don't mean to, your average person wouldn't, wouldn't actually directly throw it in the sea nobody's directly doing it but just by thinking it falling out the car door and you're thinking oh it's gone now they all end up in the sea eventually even if you're in the middle of in the middle of Ireland it will eventually end up in the sea everything does you would wonder how a piece of litter dropped in the middle of Ireland could end up in the sea think about that piece of plastic caught in the tree if someone does not put it in the bin the wind will pick it up and it will be blown either into a drain, a river, or directly into the sea. The statistics I quoted in the beginning about marine litter were from Clean Coast. Sinead McCoy is the Coastal Communication Manager, and she runs the Clean Coast programme, 
and two of their current campaigns, which are Think Before You Flush and a two-minute beach clean. Their programmes are aimed at engaging communities to protect our beaches, seas and marine life and to raise awareness of the issue of marine litter. But also if you drop um, rubbish in a park or overflowing bins in a park in towns that get picked up in the wind, unless it's actually um, then collected and put back into a bin, it is going to travel out to the coast. And would the wind carry it that far? Yes, it would, because where is it going to go? It's going to keep going out. Um, so it's not the fact that it's going to be get picked up in the wind straight away and hit the coast, but it's going to transport over time and eventually and there's nowhere else for it to go but the ocean or sea. So if litter on the street ends up in our drains, our older drains are combined with the drains from our toilets and from our homes, um, from sinks. So sometimes they can be combined into the one but they'll all end up at the wastewater treatment plant, whether they're two separate pipes or not. Litter from our streets, um, if it ends up going down the drain on the roads, that will all end up at our wastewater treatment plants. If it can't be removed properly, then unfortunately, sometimes it can end up in our marine environment. We have some statistics on what we've collected on the Clean Coast programme, um, and we know the top of vendors plastic bottles, plastic caps and some sanitary waste as well. Cigarette butts. The trillions of cigarette butts are used every year and thrown away and most people think oh they're only paper, they're biodegrade. They take about up to about five years to fully biodegrade and there was a study done that if you put a cigarette butt, the toxins in a cigarette butt, if you put that into a bucket of eight litres of water with water fleas it will kill every single water flea in that bucket. That's only one cigarette butt. Plankton and water fleas are kind of the base of every food chain. We were all taught food chains and you start leaving, sir. But um, they're the very, very base. So the, the smaller animals will eat the zooplankton and then the bigger fish eat that. So you'll, everything's so connected. Cotton buds are a major um, problem because they actually, it, the wastewater treatment plants can't remove them. Um, and when they land on our beaches, they are actually, they kind of look like lollipop sticks, like little blue sticks because that's all that's left from um by the time they've got through um and they will be ingested by birds and wildlife because they're bright blue material sitting on our beach therefore they're really attractive to wildlife the extent of that attraction was highlighted by a study on fulmer birds a common irish seabird by the galway mayo institute of technology uh 93 percent of the birds that were collected had plastic in their stomach which is a huge statistic it's basically plastic is everywhere um, and it is affecting all um, coastal life. The remaining 20% is from the fishing industry or sources of waste such as contents of tankers falling into the sea. So 10 million tonnes of marine litter enter the oceans annually. 8 million of that is plastic. Um, and 80% of that comes from land-based activities. So that's man-made litter that we're dropping. At the beginning, I mentioned the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, which is the size of Texas. There are actually five of them in our oceans. When any people believe, because it was termed the um, Pacific Garbage Patch, that it's kind of like an island of plastic. If it was, it would probably be easier to clean up. Fortunately, it's actually like a plastic soup where all little bits of plastic all accumulate together. And it's very densely plastic. Um, some places there'd be six times more plastic than plankton in the water. So it makes it in 
very, very difficult to deal with as well because the plastic is rubbing off each other, breaking down, but it's still remaining there intact. Um, and it therefore can be ingested and work its way up the food chain. It is a global problem that we're both contributing to and are impacted by. And we are contributing to it. My own personal bugbear is the balloon. Consider the release of hundreds of balloons to celebrate an occasion. Do we ever wonder what happens to them? They will burst. And unless someone picks up the burst balloon and bins it, it too will end up in the sea. A burst balloon looks an awful lot like a jellyfish to a turtle or a dolphin. When they eat it, it will either choke them or block their digestive system, leading to starvation and death. These are the unconsidered consequences of our litter. And if you want proof of the extent of the marine litter in Irish waters, just do a beach clean. Look at the litter that is left to be washed out to sea and the litter that has been returned by the tides. And in and out our rubbish will go until someone picks it up. Catherine Barrett is the Fisheries Development Officer for BIM and she coordinates the Fishing for Litter programme. In her own time, she takes part in beach cleans with her neighbours of her local beach in Ballybrack on Dublin Southside. Well, we found we found some cloth, a couple of beer cans. We found a plastic. It's a bit of plastic. This is kind of like it looks like a pipe, maybe from a washing machine. A Pepsi, Coca-Cola bottle, uh, some tin foil, some metal, a hairband. With Catherine that day were loads of kids from her neighbourhood. What are you doing? Um, We found this underneath the ground. So we decided we may as well pull it up. And we have uh, loads of metal behind the hill over there. So we just, we're going to bring all this uh, back when we're done. And what is this? It's a trolley. We've seen this happen a lot of times. People just put all their oars in this and then throw it over the cliffs. Well done. Oh, my God. Excellent. Wow. There's stuff from pans to bottles. There's bits of old metal. And there's just a lot of rubbish. All sorts of things. Well done, another one full. So off you go now at your next bag. Good. And because we're, we're here and we're easterly, we get a lot of things washed up. Uh, so, because the, you know, and just be washed up in these strong tides and strong winds. And you can feel it here in our faces now that the wind is onshore. So that obviously will help as well, kind of push things onshore as well as the tides. And the tides are quite strong on the east coast. And just that collection you described, tell me how much of a stretch of a beach you've gone to collect that. I suppose we've done maybe maybe 500 metres, you know. So what's really good about kind of like kind of come out and focus is the really tiny bits of plastic that are really are really da- are, that are really dangerous because they look like little bits of fish. They're easy for birds to eat. That's a tiny bit of plastic that they'd be able to. You can see there's little nibbles going out of it. So obviously the, the fish have been nibbling that. And we had a few other bits of the small plastic. Now that's the top of a, of a drinks bottle, but the rest of it is gone. So where is it gone? Plastic will fragment into smaller and smaller pieces, which will remain in the seas and oceans indefinitely. Um, and then another type of um, litter that has got a lot of press recently is microplastics or microbeads. 
um, tiny little bits of plastic that are added to uh, cosmetic items such as lipsticks, face wash, um, toothpaste, um, just a, a wide range of products that are in your bathroom. Um, once you use this product, it's instant. These microplastics or microbeads instantly become waste. They go down your plug hole. So anything that goes down the drain, be it the microbeads or the microfibers, they will all end up at our wastewater treatment plants. They weren't originally designed to remove these, and they're difficult to remove because of the size of them. These little tiny bits of plastic um, end up out at sea, and they are ingested then by plankton. Um, and sea life and move their way up the food chain. Yeah, so microbeads have really, really come come around and really in the press at the minute. Um, there's a fantastic, lots of studies being done in Ireland in our cetaceans by Amy Lusber and Simon Barrow of the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group. Um, there were lots of uh, trues beaked whales washing up around Donegal and, and they were thinking this is very odd. There were far too many of them, so they decided to start doing autopsies on them and they were finding huge elements of not only small plastics, the microplastics, but also larger sections of plastic inside their gut. Their whole um, digestive system was almost lined with these tiny little pieces of plastic. Now, the dolphin itself might not have... In- aim to swallow these tiny pieces of plastic but what happens is it's the food chain so you're looking at the the smaller animals that live on the seabed that are swallowing them then the fish eats that eats the worm the another fish eats that fish and another fish eats that fish so it's all bioaccumulation so everything's ending up with huge amounts of these tiny little microplastics inside them and what we have to remember about plastics is they're, they have an awful lot of toxins in them. We would never eat them directly ourselves. We know not to. But um, So they actually they leach out all sorts of toxins that have yet to be studied because there's just so many different toxins going into these things. The fishermen involved in fishing for litter are not proposing that they can solve the issue of marine litter. They have just got together to do their own bit to help to address this issue, which is affecting their industry and their fish. Jim, who you met at the beginning, invited me onto his boat, the Supreme. A 25-metre stern trawler designed for prawn fishing in the Irish Sea that fishes out of Clara Head. Jim has seen too much of the effects of marine litter. And uh, yeah, we just got fed up bringing, hauling in the nets and there was bits of, bits of paint, pins of paint and cans of oil and everything, so we said we'd do something about it. we better start bringing them ashore. So that's what we're doing anyway. And how much are you bringing in now? Uh, I'd say about a, an average a ton bag a trip. Every 10 days a ton bag full. Which is, uh, I suppose, a square metre, more than a square metre cubed. That's, that's an awful lot that yeah, you're it's, it's, in. Yeah, and it's, it's not getting any, well, it is getting a bit cleaner, but we're still getting stuff, you know. Irish fishing boats have to have a waste management system on board. As Frank Fleming said at the start... It is illegal for Irish fishermen to dump their waste at sea. Jim brought me down into the processing area of the Supreme to show me the amount of litter that they are bringing in. Don't mind getting a bit dirty there. We haul in our nets there now and we put the prawns into the hopper there, the fish into the hopper, and there's always bits of something in it, and we just have a ton bag here, tied here. So we just take the rubbish out, throw it into that ton bag. As the trip goes on, then it fills up and we t- throw it ashore, then we get rid of it, then we get in. And what sort of stuff are you taking in, like rubbish-wise? We were fishing an area this year and there was... The whole the whole stern of the boat could be covered with these long lines. It's like uh, like the line on a fishing rod, only it's heavier. Like cat, like cat gut. 
and there'd be just bundles of it and they're just dumped off dumped off Spanish boats it might, get, it might go foul on them you know it might uh, get mixed up and they go foul so they just, just throw it out you know uh, your fish get tangled up in it I actually have a photo here I took a photo of it one time if you lose fishing gear at sea the lost gear can still trap fish it is called ghost fishing yeah, that's it there yeah an example you see now you're seeing a, a gill net very fine it's like fishing line and it might have got tangled on the other boys who be using it and they throw it out and that's I see all the fish trapped in it it comes up in their net like that full of prawns and fish the head of a fish sticking out there looks yeah. to be strangled by that you know and there's there's tons of that on the seabed off the west coast it's just been dumped and left there so now when you pull it up you're taking it we, we, we shake it down get all the fish out of it and put it into a bag and send it home I don't know, it's just a feeling you have that you want to get the sea clean. You know, if we keep doing it, keep doing it, eventually we will get it clean, hopefully, so everyone does it, you know. Marine biologists like Louise Overy know the consequences of our oceans and seas not being clean. We, we try and do beach cleans here in the aquarium at least once a month if we can on different beaches to try and reel in some of that plastic out there. But we were out there doing a beach clean and we found a gannet, and that's the big white bird, one of Ireland's biggest seabirds, or Europe's biggest seabirds, uh, wrapped up in a piece of fishing net, and the gannet was just completely entangled. I don't know whether it happened and the fisherman just cut him off, or whether he found a piece of what we call ghost fishing line, which might have just been floating around in the sea and he accidentally dived into it, or he might have been trying to take a fish out of a net and got tangled in the fisherman's net. Um, but it's just horrific, and you saw how entangled he'd become and how awful that must have been just before he died, you know, drowning panicking, can't figure out why he can't get back up to the surface. Another very um, unfortunate case we had this year was we had a turtle wash up. She was in an awful state. She had a hypothermia, uh, pneumonia, you name it. But one of the other things she came to us with was she had her front forelimb was missing, so her front flipper was missing. But upon looking at the the wound, um, it was far, far too clean, completely severed, very close to the body. And we were suspecting that might well have been an entanglement wrapped up and eventually severed much like docking a lamb's tail you know the plastic just kept tightening and tightening until eventually the limb just fell off but uh you know you, you see it all the time it is really tough um i certainly know the seal sanctuary they've encountered crisp packets inside some of their their seals that didn't make it and we, we just don't think you know um ireland's got a huge coastline so the stories are enormous um the fishermen know all of these stories too well and that is why they are fishing in our litter You'd see, you could see anything. You often see a seagull or a gannet, a big bird flying around with a, do you know the plastic ring, the plastic rings that's on top of a six pack of beer. One of them, just one of those, right round his neck, and it's eventually going to kill him because he won't be able to swallow his food or eventually choke him. You know. Back at Clara Head Harbour, Jim and his fellow fisherman John walk me down to where they keep the bags of litter that they have collected. The fishing for litter bags come in three different sizes, one ton, half ton, quarter ton, so they can suit the size of the vessel. When the fishermen land their catch, the bags are lifted off the vessel and then collected to be disposed of or recycled under the BIM programme with no cost to the fishermen. Just general rubbish from, from, from uh, fishing boats. It was thrown out at sea, we take it back in. It goes away in these bags for recycling. 
And what kind of stuff have you seen in terms of leather? Uh, leather, mostly yeah, the, yeah, old bridles. That this is a bridle here now, heavy stuff like you know. So that wraps around the nets. It just gives us two or three hours work, like you know, for no money, like you know. It could be only two shots in a day that's going to pay us. If we lose one shot, we've lost half a day's money. What's a shot? A shot is uh, the time from you throw over the net over the side to the time you heave the net up, and what's in the net financially, what you gain, like you know. Most of this rubbish now we get, we come from the Spanish boats. We just throw it over the side and it fouls our gear. So we have to take it and we've no choice. Otherwise we foul our shot the next time because we just really keep catching it, like, you know. And it just messes up our nets, you know. So there's a huge financial gain for you from removing it? Oh, it is, it is. And it's nice to have a nice clean sea as well, like, you know. Because our kids swim on the beach anyway, like, you know. So we don't want the stuff washed in there, like. And what's the oddest thing you've brought in? The oddest thing I brought in, myself sometimes. <laughs> John and the rest of them have caught all sorts of odd things. Oliver Kerwin is an advocate for the Fishing for Litter programme. He was down at the harbour as well. Clara Head depends on the fishing industry and Oliver wanted to show me the extent of what they are bringing in and how this litter is a threat to their fishing industry. This is the latest con- consignment that came in from the, the fishing vessel Supreme who was fishing up at the, up in the north coast. What have we got here? Some type of a, a water filter. Lots of rope. A lobster pot. Bags, plastic bottles, containers. But all that extra weight or rubbish in the nets may put the fishing of the net off. So it it, it, it just may pull the net sideways. It may help close the net. Instead of the net being open, it could close the net. So the the net's not as as effective fishing if it's full of rubbish. Most of the boats will will tow for four hours. In, In your first hour, you can pick up something big that tears the net. You're towing the net for the next three hours and the fish are just swimming straight through it. So it has been a bad shot, a bad day. But um, little by little, more and more boats are coming on board for the fishing for litter. Yeah, well, today, today we have collected approximately six tonnes of rubbish. Oh, just the Clarehead fleet, just, just the boats that land in here at Clarehead. Uh, at the moment, I have there's four, possibly five boats. That's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of stuff. Considering when you when you take plastic, especially, which is the biggest volume of it, it takes a lot of plastic to to weigh a ton, you know. So every every little bit helps. Every little bit helps, and it'll never ever be clean, but every little bit helps. Actually, the pilot program in 2016 brought in an excess of eight tons in that one year, and that was with half the amount of vessels that they have now. These fishermen are under no illusions that fishing for litter is the solution to the global problem of marine litter. Remember, globally, we are dumping 10 million tonnes a year into the sea. As Frank Fleming points out, this is just one of the small steps fishermen are taking to help. 
Sometimes fishermen, or quite often, fishermen do very good things and they do stuff like cleaning the marine environment that isn't possible for other people to do and very often they don't get any credit for it. Sometimes we hear stories about the commercial fishing industry and often they're quite negative and this is a very positive story. But the fishing for litter is kind of a simple thing. We all know it's good and you don't have to understand things in great depth to say that this is a good idea. I mean, it's, it's good for the consumers, it's good for the fishermen and it's good for the environment itself. But if we don't take more steps like this, it is the marine life that will suffer the most. So um, we have some rescued terrapins here. So you know the, the six-pack cans, you know when you buy beer cans in the shops? They are one of the worst plastics for actually ensnaring wildlife. The amount of animals, ducks, turtles... You name it, the animals just are incredible for getting their heads stuck in them and then they can't reverse back out. So there is a very classic picture of a very deformed turtle that obviously got it stuck over it when it was a juvenile, continued to grow, and now the turtle is in a figure of eight, like an egg timer shape. It's quite horrific, the deformities that can be caused with litter. In actual fact, kids might remember the happy feet. I think one of the penguins there, he had one wrapped around his neck, and it happens all over the world. The character was Lovelace in Happy Feet, which is such a great movie. Heartbreaking to think that this is not based purely on fiction. So we're, here we are in our Gentoo uh, penguin enclosure. So they're a very, very active species, but um, they're also incredible for just eating anything they find. And what's the consequences that you know of that's marine? Of the ingestion with the penguins, again, it's that lining of the gut. Um, it's kind of this false kind of sense of fullness as well they'll get, so their stomachs feel full, and yet they're not full, so they're not eating as much, or otherwise that their food can't actually get through their digestive system because the plastics are actually physically blocking the food to go down. Um, it's just the whole, you know, if we were to swallow a piece of plastic, we'd be straight over to the hospital, being like, oh, quick, you know, take this out of me. These guys just have to live with it, and you can imagine the knock-on effect and then as well, when these guys um, have their, their young, they, they regurgitate their food back up to their, to, their, um, to their chicks. So you're looking at anything that they might have swallowed might well come back up and straight into the mouth of their chick. Uh, it's just a knock-on effect with all animals. What's that thing here? That's the penguin. <laughs> What's he doing? Yeah, he's just talking. He's just talking. That would be the chick that we had here two years ago. He's a, he's a right chatterbox. Um, so these guys in Dutch are known as donkey penguins because when they really shout, they do sound like a donkey, kind of eat oi. Um, they're very noisy. Oh, they're incredible. <laughs> yeah. They're all characters. Yeah. Life is amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Life is amazing, and hopefully we do not wreck it. When I was doing the beach clean, I met Michaela McGregor, a young girl that was helping Catherine. She got the problem with marine litter, and it is very simple. It's not that good to do it. I don't know why people do it. Uh, the birds could have eaten it, or they, so fish could have got trapped, or things like that. And it could, it could be like they would, wouldn't really help the world. And so yeah. Yeah, I suppose if I was to have anything to say, I would say that. Don't think it's the county council's problem. Don't think it's it's their problem over in the Pacific with the Great Pacific Garbage Patches. It's our problem. So if everybody did their little share, that you know that beer can that just fell out in your car, or the, the the lollipop stick that was just thrown on the, if everyone just picked that up and put it where it's meant to be, the, you're looking at four million people in Ireland. If everyone just did just did that, the impact would be huge. So, as Louise said at the beginning, 
If we don't do something to stop this, what we are facing is pretty scary. It's just horrifying to think that one day we may well be swimming in a sea of plastic bottles. Fishing for Litter is a curious broadcast production funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee. Narrated and produced by Patricia Baker. Edit and final mix, Jerry Horn, Contact Studios.